Welcome to the Faith Forward podcast series. Faith Forward is a grassroots network dedicated to bringing together leaders of ministry with children, youth, and families for collaboration, resourcing, and inspiration toward innovative theology and practice. Through this series, we'll learn from creative, forward-thinking leaders who are pushing the boundaries and reimagining what it means to follow Jesus' way of love and justice today. Join us as we instigate a revolution of hope in our world. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Faith Forward podcast. I am joined today by Holly Allen, who is the Professor of Family Science and Christian Ministry at Lipscomb University in Nashville, Tennessee. And she is very well known across the globe as an expert in both children's Christian spiritual formation and intergenerational ministry. And she's written uh, and edited books in both of these areas, the most recent of which is called Forming Resilient Children, The Role of Spiritual Formation for Healthy Development. And it was published by InterVarsity Press in the fall of 2021. Holly, I am so glad you're here today. It's a privilege to have you on the podcast. I'm delighted to join you. Thanks for asking me, Dave. So I mentioned that uh, in your introduction that you've been working um, in, in a couple different related fields over the years, and this um, book seems to be, it, it's, it's an integration in, uh, of resilient studies and children's spirituality, um, but I also think that it's in a lot of ways, it's an integration uh, in, of your work in intergenerational ministry as well, because you have fantastic uh, chapters that talk about um, what churches and families and all uh, different communities can can contribute to uh, to children and and the formation of healthy resilience. Um, so why don't you why don't we kick things off by having you tell us uh, uh, how the book evolved from your work and why it matters to you so much? Bringing together of what I've been doing over the years was not the exact intention of this book, but of course that is exactly what it's done. I've had maybe three paradigm changes over my lifetime in working with children in church settings. Uh, The first was the original one. Uh, I began teaching children when I was 11 years old. My church let me teach a kindergarten class for for VBS in the summer, and I thoroughly loved it. Mm -hmm. And I've just kept it up all my life. I love it. My early career was in education. I taught teacher education courses in reading disability. And um, so I absorbed that whole educational world. And I brought whatever I was learning in that world directly into my Sunday school classes, into my children's church, mostly based around developmental principles and teaching learning principles, pedagogical principles. And they weren't bad ideas. It's just that wasn't the main focus of what we were doing. I didn't know it at the time, Uh, but I was using all the bells and whistles of education to teach the Bible. And though I think I did a good job of teaching the Bible, I it took a long time for me to begin to realize that that was actually not my ultimate purpose. I think teaching the Bible is important and it is part of getting to the ultimate purpose, but I didn't know that right. at the time. Right. Um, so I, I began to see things differently in the 1990s uh, when I was part of a church that met in intergenerational small groups on Sunday evenings. And it just changed my understanding of Christian education and formation for children and adults. It, I began to observe and experience wonderful benefits of gathering together. I had always mm-hmm. been in age segregated settings in my teaching, 
But I began to see how having all the ages together just grew, grew us up. We grew each other up. Yeah. Um, and I, I, the key pieces of uh, this deep sense of belonging that children and all of us experience, uh, that we began to develop relationships across all the ages. Our identity was being grounded in the body of Christ. And along the way, as I uh, was seeing the importance of all the ages coming together, I was moving away from faith development, which I still think is hugely important, to spiritual development, which is broader. Right. Yeah, it's broader. And it includes faith development, which is what I would say, uh, helping children come to a specific faith in Yahweh God, beliefs about that God and what that calls them to do in their life toward a spirituality, which is broader. This is more full uh, orbed. It's not grounded so much in development and pedagogy, but in relationship with God and with others and self. So that was enormous for me. The intergenerational piece was the first paradigm change, which led then toward this new understanding that actually what we're about is helping children come to know God, come to know themselves, come to know others. And I think, of course, intergenerational settings are really good for that. Um, so those were the two first big paradigm changes. Um, right. And then the third happens with the resilience work. So you, we can move on to that if you'd like. Right, right. Well, one of the things I love about your work consistently, um, and something that you you do in this book as well, is um, that you, you rely a lot on stories, um, stories that you pick up in your qualitative research that you do, but also stories of people you know, uh, stories of your own uh, experiences. And uh, I love that, like, for example, in, in your intergenerational work, um, you talk a lot about that community that you just uh, told us about in the 90s. And that was when you had children, uh, young children as well. And so you could see the direct and experience the direct benefits both to, to them and to you. And, mm -hmm. and so to all members of your family, as you were uh, engaged in that intentional, intentional intergenerational community. And then the theoretical work you do kind of builds out of that. And I love that it's not this theory to practice model, but it's this true integration of, you know, our theory informs our practice, but you're modeling and, and demonstrating well how sometimes our practice precedes our theories and we, we experience something and then build out, um, you know, well, what's actually going on here in, in what's been happening. Mm -hmm. And it's something that you continue in forming resilient children uh, um, even by beginning the book and the introduction with this story of this family that you uh, got to know uh, after Hurricane Katrina. Could you tell us a little bit uh, about them and, and how that uh, has, has uh, shaped your work, uh, your, your current work in resilience? Well, this is based around an experience we had in Siloam Springs, Arkansas. Uh, we received that small town received 750 people on some buses that came from New Orleans after Katrina. And I got to know several of the people in some of the work that we did just receiving them, but also in the church that we worship with because some landed there. And the family I tell about isn't one exact family. It's a composite of several uh, families uh, that I got to know and heard the stories of, but also even what I read in the paper and you know now online and stuff. But it's a, a single mom who comes with her teenager and her 11 year old and her little girl. And their experience of 
being left there. They, they should have gotten out, but they were helping at a nursing home, helping those patients. She said the mom's a nurse and helping those get out. And then they end up stuck there and their building begins to fill up and they escape. They grab their stuff. They go a few blocks away to some friends house it's they have a two-story house and they live on a slight rise and they think okay we can we can get there and it takes them a couple hours to get there because the water's rising swirling around them and i mean it's very very dangerous and the mom puts the little girl on her back and just to keep her out of the water they finally get there they get into that house they spend the night in the house and the water begins to creep up gets through the first floor and gets up to the second floor and they're just of course terrified just terrified so that whole experience very traumatic and the book on resilience is about trauma, but it's also about ordinary, uh, you know, bumps that we we hit in life. Um, but this was pretty traumatic, of course, the experience of wading through the waters in the dark and the rain coming down and then the water's creeping up in the house. And they're rescued in a boat. Somebody they, they knock out the window and they, they are able to get into a boat that's floating by and mm-hmm. people help them and they get to a place where they're safe. And um, then eventually they they have to leave and they come to Arkansas where they're cared for. Uh, but it's hard. I mean, they don't know mm-hmm. anyone. They do find a church that welcomes them. The boys don't feel at home, of course, but then they're welcomed into some sports activities. The little girl probably has it the worst. She's lost her dollies in the water and is very concerned about them and just keeps praying for their return. And the mom is trying to hold it together, get a job, find a place to live. The oldest boy's like, okay, okay, what do we need to do now? I can help. I can help. And he says, we, we need to get a third floor apartment, not a second floor apartment. That was that was right. not good enough. And the, the middle guy's like, we, we just need to go back. We need to go back. We need to go back home because that's where everything is. And we'll be safer there and it'll be good. And so the mom is just truly trying to hold it together. It's very uh, traumatic still. And they get the help they need. They, get, they go to counseling together as a family. And they're able to tell their stories and be assured that there's a place for them here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mom learns how to listen and let some of her needs be met. Uh, just a wonderful story of great trauma, but support and help, learning how to listen to one another, support one another, get the help you need, find people around you. Um, and they they do. And yeah. then eventually, five years later, this really happened. There was a uh, tornado in um, Joplin, Missouri. And this family goes and uh, and they help people dig out there. We went for right. a work day and there were several people from Katrina on that work day. And we helped families as they come back because this family did go back to New Orleans and their apartment was just complete, you know, smelly mess. There was nothing left. They couldn't yeah, go back yeah. home. So they wanted to help the people in Joplin have a place to come back to, to be safe. And they all had some healing there. So that mm. sense of paying it forward is part of resilience that if you can, uh, from what you've learned, uh, pay it forward to the next group. That's one of those key pieces, those, those key ideas that shows that you are being resilient. So that story really captures everything. Right. Uh, it, it, it was just it came together so beautifully. People who read the first version of the book said, we're still not quite getting how this all connects. And then mm-hmm. I put that story and they said, yep, that does it. It brings it all together. The, yeah. the definition of children's spirituality, which is nurturing their relationship with themselves and others and God. In yes. the Christian community, we've tended to just focus on the relationship with God, which is fabulous. Right. Right. Uh, but that I'm a person. I have needs. My voice needs to be heard as part of it. God says love. The Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor 
as yourself. And so right. helping kids have that voice is part of spirituality, but it's also part of resilience. Right. Uh, right. All the resilience literature says that relationships, mm-hmm. like, let's see, one person says relationships are at the heart of resilience mm-hmm. and they just are. So nurturing the child's relationship with self and others and mm-hmm. with God builds mm-hmm. that foundation, all, all of those things build the foundations uh, that yield and that foster and that nurture resilience. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those are that that all of those things came together uh, mm-hmm. in that story. Yeah, it's it's there's so much in that story and and how you told it that um, it makes me think you know we could go on for hours about this, but of course you know a, a lot of my work has been in children's spirituality and that's how we got to know each other originally was through the Children's Spirituality Summit um, back before it was called the Children's Spirituality Summit mm-hmm. and. I remember at the first conference I went to um, in 2006 outside of Chicago, you started the conference doing a, a presentation about how do we define children's spirituality from a Christian perspective mm-hmm. and central to that definition, as much as people uh, put their own spins on it and nuance it and disagree about it. Central is this idea of relationship. And so it's brilliant that you're saying, you know, central to resilience theory is also relationships. So it's almost like these are natural, uh, natural friends um, that have until until your book, you know, rarely cross paths, um, even though they've been right there waiting for us to 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 do that. And and the the other thing I'm I'm thinking of is uh, just how you're helping me see this idea of, um, you know, Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And, and there has been this focus on, on God and then neighbor, but implicit in this, you cannot love your neighbor as yourself if you don't love yourself. And so there's this implicit re- third relationship of, uh, of, of self. And, and Jesus tells us that all of these three relationships matter. So thanks for opening up that very well-known, common, you know, exegeted to high heaven text for me in a new way. Mm-hmm. Um, one, of, one of the things I really love about uh, forming resilient children is that you have a really robust section uh, with some chapters about family and home and grandparents and how that um, helps children uh, develop resilience, develop spirituality. And also, uh, you have a section about, uh, community context and faith community context and churches and, and how faith communities can help form, uh, children to have a healthy spirituality and, and a spirituality that can help them be resilient. And of course, you know, as you said, the, the story that you mentioned about Katrina, that kind of composite story, um, is a very traumatic, uh, you know, a life altering experience in, in a, in a, in a big way. Um, but you also in the book talk about, you know, death of grandparents and divorcing, uh, you know, the divorce of parents and, and these kind of more everyday uh, experiences that are still traumatic for those going through them, especially children. I, I, I love that, that your book includes both the home and the family and the church and the faith community. Why are both of these contexts important? And how do you think they work together for the sake of um, healthy children's uh, spiritual formation and resilience? When I began looking at the protective factors, uh, what led me to look at the protective factors that lead to resilience um, 
I was doing it because I was teaching a course on nurturing children spiritually. And we began working with in after school programs with children with specific populations. We worked with refugee children one year. Um, and so every child that we worked with uh, had gone through trauma. They had fled their countries. They had come to the United States learning a new language and all that. I began right. reading the resilience literature for that population. Another year we worked with children whose parents were incarcerated. And I read the resilience literature for that population. Another year we worked in a lower socioeconomic uh, place in um, Nashville after school program. So I read the resilience literature on po- uh, kids in poverty and generational poverty. And I, yeah. I had this, you know, aha moment. Oh my goodness. These overlap so completely with children's spirituality. And the first thing they say, a big protective factor is parents, capable yes. parents who carry the weight, who carry the weight in big traumas and little traumas running out of gas or Katrina. Mm-hmm, parents mm-hmm. need to carry the weight. And I've been speaking on this just lately. And afterwards, every time I've spoken on this, I've had a parent come up and say, oh, our house burned down and about four years ago. And I was so wrapped up in it. I don't think I was there for my children. And yeah. I'm always able to say to them, your children are still part of your family. How old are they now? Oh, well, they're eight and 12 and 14. You can pick right up right now because Absolutely. that was that was hard then, but it's still hard now. You can process with them right now where they are. And at some point, if you need to say you're sorry that you were overwhelmed at the time, say that. But for now, they still need you to listen Mm -hmm. to them and hear where they were. And that's what they need. And you can still do that. So that's been encouraging. But capable parents, that's the number one uh, protective factor. So now when I speak about it, that happened like three or four times in a row. And I thought, oh, oh." so now when I speak about it, I go, and if you miss that opportunity, then (laughs) don't think you're. Yeah. And in fact, when they're 20 and when they're 30 and when they're 40 because I have adult children yeah. and now we still go back and reprocess old things and redeem them, yes. reconcile things, bring together misunderstandings. And it's lovely to do this with adult children as well. They have mm-hmm. hard things. So that piece is part of the resilience that are, and, and clearly from scripture, we know that parents are terribly important. So they, they nurture spirituality and resilience. Mm-hmm. Uh, that self piece in the resilience literature is huge, huge. Um, so again, that's that home piece. We think, oh, well, some kids just born are born with agency. They're always, they know how to self-advocate, but not all of our children are born with that. And even if those yeah. who are, are, we as parents can help with that. Yeah. Another piece is the community piece. And part of the community piece is the church. Mm-hmm. That churches, especially in settings where maybe the parents are not as engaged as they need to be, or divorce is going on, the church can be that community that supports and upholds and provides that foundational place for children. Mm -hmm. So it's enormously important that we live into that, that we notice that, especially kids who are on the periphery, uh, kids who come, teenagers who come alone, you know, don't have the families there. How do we watch out for those? How do we provide that place for them? Uh, And then the last one, there are 10 of these, well, there are really more than that, but uh, in fact, belonging is one. I mean, churches are great places for belonging and, probably the last one that's most well to hope they also hold out hope and all resilience literature says that if once children lose hope it's hard for them to survive at all so teaching and and modeling hope but the last one i'll end on this is identity Mm. and children come to know who they are in their homes but also in these intergenerational communities Mm -hmm. they come to know that they are a child of god that these are my people. These are the people who love me and love God. There's an us, there's a we, not just a me. Mm-hmm. And of course, 
there's that relationship with God, that identity that I am a child of God. Mm -hmm. And I would absolutely, by the way, the very secular resilience literature names this last piece, different things. They'll call it faith or hope or the belief that life has meaning. They'll call it religiosity. Some call it spirituality. I have chosen to call it spirituality and define it as I had. But I would say, bottom line, children who know a God, who know a God who's present, who understands the enormity of what they've experienced, who offers them unconditional love, who is at work bringing about justice in their hard worlds, who's orchestrating healing and and restoration. These children possess the most powerful resilience armor possible. Right. And we have stories of kids who would hide in the closet fearing fearing that God was, that their daddy was going to come and beat them up or that whoever had been sexually abused would come. And some of those children are able to say, God was there and I could talk to him. And that's powerful. Uh, Boy soldiers or girl soldiers who come to believe that God was present with them, brought them through and is now healing and teaching them to forgive themselves and the others who used them. But that Belief in God is foundational. So that is fostered in our churches and in our homes. Mm-hmm. And coming together um, is the way to nurture children spiritually. But also by doing that, we do foster a deep sense of resilience mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I, I can make it through this. I can because yeah. my family loves me and God is with me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I am consistently impressed with how, um, you have been able to write about this uh, in a way that um, really is accessible. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, accessible for academics and practitioners and parents, but but accessible regardless of theological bent or denominational tradition. Because at the end of the day, trauma happens to everyone, and um, you know, as, as you say, it's it's these healthy relationships. And what it, what are healthy relationships with each other, with ourselves, with God? That's going to look different for person to person, tradition to tradition, um, context to context. And so I love that you are very careful not to say this is what healthy relationships, you know, specifically look like, um, so that uh, it does leave it open for people with different uh, understandings of God, different experiences of God, um, to, to engage with, with the material and to see the benefits of it. But of course, it comes down to, you know, healthy relationships, our loving relationships, our caring relationships, um, and, and what that love and care looks like is going to, is going to shift and differ um, from, from place to place. Uh, so, you know, we, the book came out in the fall of last year of 2021. Uh, I know how the, the publication process takes a while. And so I'm sure as the book was moving um, through the, the publication process, you know, we had the COVID-19 pandemic uh, that we're, we're still experiencing now, um, ongoing uh, climate change and, and emergencies and uh, related to, to climate change. You know, there's a growing polarization in um, our economics, our politics, our, our values uh, in, in many of the Western countries, economic instability. I mean, we could go on. There's so many huge challenges facing the world, and these challenges um, affect and sometimes are compounded by the smaller 
challenges, the individual challenges that families and children face, right? Things like abuse, uh, individual loss. Um, and so how can, um, I guess, what advice would you have for, for parents, grandparents, uh, ministry leaders who are wanting to ensure that the way that they are nurturing the children and the young people in their lives uh, are ways that are promoting this healthy spirituality, these healthy relationships to God, self, and others um, for the sake of, of forming resilient children? And the best way to answer that is the story of Blake. Uh, there's a little girl that I tell about. It's a, it's a video, YouTube video. Anyone can watch it. Just Google Blake and uh, COVID meltdown. And this little four-year-old girl is just talking and talking about that. This is in July of 2020. So wow. everything has basically, you know, life has stopped. And yeah. she's whining, crying, and just like everything is shut down. The, the McDonald's is shut down, and, and the, the, the ice cream truck, and my favorite water park. And the only thing that's open is nothing. And, yeah. and her parents are, you know, videotaping this. And it's not, it, it, it's so wonderful. You think it's staged, but it's not. And they, they listen to her and they say, We know it's hard. Yeah. Listening to your children, even though, I mean, you and I know that the water, the water park shutting down is not the end of the world. Right. And, and the ice cream truck not running around. Yeah. You know, so you can't go through the playground at McDonald's. We know. But for a four year old where all that's happening at once, that's as big as she's ever faced. Mm-hmm. And her parents listen. They don't say, look, people are dying. So mm-hmm. that's enough whining. They don't do that. They listen mm-hmm. to her heart. And they join in and they say, yeah, and that's why we don't go to church right now. We have to do it on the TV. That's what he said. We have to do it on the TV. And uh, she says, I know, but I miss that too, because I get these little gumballs. And then she goes on and on about how she's missing church. And it's very sweet, but I've, I've never witnessed a real conversation with parents who were so attuned to her. At one point she says, it's just frustrating. And I think, yes, it is. But how do you know that word? She's got people around her who are helping her name her emotions to the point that she can use that word. And it's an accurate word. So what we can do, parents and grandparents and all of us, is take seriously the fact that this is something for our children. We're thinking Mm -hmm. you're not having to, you know, manage life and make a living. You just, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. But actually, Mm -hmm. this is as big as it gets for, for kids. Most kids haven't faced a lot of trauma yet. So not having the water park and McDonald's and that's big enough. I, I said it in the book and this is bef- before I realized it, that I said there are two kinds of kids, basically, those who've already hit some bumps in life and those yeah. whose lives have been good enough, you know, good enough parents, good enough churches, good enough schools, life's gone yeah. swimmingly. Well, actually, I should take that out of the book now. I think every child on the planet now has yeah. had to cope with things that the rest of us didn't have to when we were one or three or five or 11 or 15, especially as you know, the 17, 18, 19 year olds that are in college right now, who maybe missed it part of their sophomore year, part of their junior year, you know, some who just flat missed their senior year. They're all in college now going, I don't even know what normal is. Um, So this has been traumatic, not maybe in the, I lost my right leg trauma, but it's been big for kids. And I think adults have not paid as much attention, but learning to listen, giving them hope, helping them find hope. By the end of the little conversation with Blake, the little girl, you know, they're saying, it's not going to be forever. I know. And then the dad says, 
and we're doing it so everybody will be safe. She said, yeah. So he brings her, they get the conversation to a place where she can cope. There's mm -hmm. hope. Mm -hmm. And as you know, when you work with children, things can seem completely out of control. And then with some gentle listening and a little bit of redirecting, things can come back to a manageable space. Yeah, That's part of spirituality, but it's part of resilience as well. We're modeling for them, carrying the weight, but that they matter and yeah. that God is here with us, that he is part of this, even in the hardest circumstance. When a grandfather or grandmother dies of COVID, yes. where was God? And you can say he's right here. Yeah. He is right here. He sees your tears. He knows that this hurts you. And then they can ask whatever question they have and you can assure them God knows he understands. Right. So these are the ways that we can lean into this in ordinary ways. It's not like, I think parents and a lot of us have had this sense that we, there's a formal process you need to go right. through to get your kids right. to be spiritually formed just right or to exactly. be resilient children. They need to do these seven steps. Yeah. These are ordinary ways. And perhaps the biggest purpose I had in writing this was to help parents see that these ordinary conversations are part of it. They're, they're the intimate part of what goes into building spiritual relationships with our children and for arming them with what they're going to need to face the next bump and the next bump and yeah. the next bump. Yeah. And these are lessons for all of us. I give maybe 25 different things in the book, ordinary ways. Yes. Uh, with, with our children that, that you don't preface by saying, now we're going to learn about Jesus or right, now right. we are going to learn to be resilient. That's not, I mean, that's what's happening, but you yeah. don't have to name it that. It's part yeah. of those relational pieces. So that's, it's the ordinariness of it yeah. um, and that I think is important. Well, Holly, thank you so much for your time. Uh, thank you for unpacking this really important book that you have written. Um, if you are listening and you want to know more, I highly recommend you pick up uh, a copy of Forming Resilient Children. Um, I liked it so much that I, uh, you'll, you'll find me on the back cover with an endorsement. Um, and so it was, it was an honor to be able to read it early and, uh, and provide some, uh, some glowing words about just how important and how needed this is right now more than ever. Where's the best place uh, other than the book for folks to learn about some of the work that you're doing and, uh, and work on resilience and, and children? Well, I've done about 15 podcasts. I guess you okay. can say podcast, Holly Allen, Forming Resilient Children and see what comes up. So awesome. it, there are several out there and they often take a particular bent either Amazing. on parents or on grandparents or on Christian organizations or on churches or on trauma or yeah. on non-Christian settings yeah. because yeah. they have a couple of chapters that lean into what do we mean when we nurture children in, in settings where we can't talk about God and Jesus, like in public yeah. schools. Yeah, so yeah. some people want to fo focus there. So you can put awesome. all that in there and see what you find. Awesome. You can kind of choose your own adventure. Well, thank you for <laughs> adding us to the, uh, for adding Faith Forward to the podcast tour. Thank you, Dave. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to the Faith Forward podcast series. If you want to learn more from creative thinkers and innovative leaders, be sure to subscribe or visit faith-forward.net.